0: Welcome to the Weave Podcast. My name is Sarah Resnick and I'm the host of this podcast and the owner of the online weaving yarn shop GIST Yarn and Fiber. Hi everyone. Before we get started with my conversation with Casey Lynn Martinez, I want to introduce a new segment on the podcast where I share a bit about some of the yarn in my shop that I'm really loving this week. To kick it off, it's Alpaca. Alpaca. I import this alpaca yarn that I carry in my shop directly from a long-running mill in Arequipa, Peru, and whenever the huge boxes of this alpaca arrive in my studio, it's my favorite kind of mail day. The yarn is truly what quality alpaca should be. It's really soft, and it's even, and it's perfect for cozy blankets and shawls and most of the colors that i have are a melange blend where the fabric with a fiber was dyed and then blended before spinning which means there are flecks of lots of different colors in there and that really adds complexity and depth to even the most simplest of weaving structures I carry this yarn in two weights, a 2.16 lace weight and a 3.10 fingering weight. And the thinner yarn is perfect for delicate and airy scarves. And the thicker yarn is yummy and scrumptious for shawls and throws. And best of all, both of these weights are suitable for both warp and weft, which make them perfect for weavers. If you go to the show notes at www.gistyarn.com episode hyphen 32, I linked to this alpaca yarn and some free project patterns that you can use with it if you're intrigued. And now, on to the main event of the podcast. This week, I'm talking to Casey Lynn Martinez. Casey and I first met a little less than a year ago when we were roommates at the Weaving Kind Makery in Boulder, Colorado. I loved spending a few days with Casey there, learning about her stories and her journey to weaving. When I heard that she was doing a residency and public art installation at Ply Space in Muncie, Indiana this summer, I knew I wanted to have her on the podcast to share about her work. Hi, Casey. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast today. Welcome.
1: Hello, Sarah. I'm really happy to connect with you today.
0: Can you start out by introducing yourself and sharing how you found your way to weaving?
1: Yeah. So I'm Casey Lynn Martinez. I'm a participatory fiber artist. Um, I'm also a facilitator, and I design organizations and programs centered around equity, engagement, and safety. And so I'm really interested in how we create spaces and use tools that honor our humanity, which I don't think happens very often, um, and then the tools that also help us dream together. Um, and so I am a new weaver. I, um, I I guess we cannot kind of all say that because it's a lifelong um practice. But I found out a few years back, uh, maybe two or three years ago, that my grandfather was a weaver. Um, I'm originally from Texas. Um, I don't come from a traditional arts background. I've been working in nonprofits and um, in a lot of startups. I've worked a lot internationally. Um, and so didn't, had never really thought about fiber arts really, or weaving or anything like that. And so my mom was visiting me from Texas, um, in Brooklyn where I live. And she came across this magazine that had these looms in them. And she was like, oh my gosh, you know, your grandfather used to weave. He was a weaver. And I, in my like late twenties, and I had never heard of this before, he passed away um, when I was two or three, so I never really knew him, and my mom also had a really challenging relationship with him while he was alive, so I've known so little about him, or probably only negative things, and so um, she was talking, she just, like, opened up all these stories about how she would come, um, they, my family's from the Rio Grande Valley, so they she would, like, come from school and there was this old factory of and that's where my grandfather was a weaver and she would come and the women would kind of teach her how to use the loom and she would she always talked about they would give her soda like that she really loved and um so it was just kind of this uh, community-based thing and i also knew that my grandmother was a janitor and i didn't i it was at that point that i learned that she was like the cleaning lady for this you know this Uh, weaving factory. And so that's, um, so it was kind of like the center of my mom's life that I just really had no clue about. And so um, it was after that, um, I was hitting kind of my 30th birthday milestone. And I was like, I've, you know, had some pretty stressful times. Um, I've kind of been caretaking for a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And I really just need this time this milestone to be about me and so i decided to go to santa fe um and learn how to weave so i went to the santa fe school of weaving i did private lessons for two weeks with miriam let espin Espenson, and so she's uh she's i think in her 70s she has like a yarn shop there and and has been a weaver for a very long time she's um yeah she's uh a really fantastic woman it was amazing to learn um and just sink in and have this kind of personal space and time to start weaving so that was a year and a half ago and kind of since then i've just been picking up what i've been able to learn um teaching taking workshops here and there retreats here and there um to learn some of the technical skills but just really coming into weaving um as a a way of living and breathing and connecting
0: It's interesting that you first connected to this art form through the family tradition that your mother was telling you about and through this magazine. And I'm curious if when you went to learn to weave, was it like what you expected?
1: Um, I mean, to be honest, I had no idea what I was doing and what I expected. I really wanted solitude and to be alone and to just be in a space with with myself and my thoughts, and my things, and there was a lot more math in it than I had expected, Um, and I just had no idea where fabric came from, where, what yarns were really, like, what different kinds of yarns were. I just was, it was a learning so much at, um, one time and Miriam was really great in giving me kind of the rules and the, and, you know, setting up the structure for me and even guiding me on what projects we could work on or I could work on and she could help me. Um, but then I, yeah, she really gave me the space to kind of sink in. And I, I just felt, um, at that time, just so overwhelmed by how connected I felt to, um, a person in a history that um, I've never intentionally sought out before and like never really had access to other than a handful of you know pictures and a few kind of not so not so great stories so um, so yeah I just I had no idea what I was doing or what I expected but I found um, kind of my ancestry and my heritage in a way and then I also found um, I found that piece that I was looking for in um, a much deeper way than I could have expected. Hmm.
0: What kind of weaving did your ancestors do? Uh,
1: they, he, he was doing um, mostly like industrial weaving. So um, the workshop that he was at was um, a lot more involved with like creating industrial blinds or really large carpets. Um, and so, yeah, it was much more kind of functional. Um, the clientele that they were selling towards was, uh, companies. Um, and then we don't really know that much about the, my, that side of the family in general. And so, um, yeah it was just kind of this in the in the valley at that time there were a lot of uh textile factories that moved from kind of Lowell, Massachusetts or the northeast down to the valley mostly because labor was really cheap so Mm -hmm. yeah
0: yeah and so you came back from this weaving class and what was the first kind of loom that you started to work with and what sort of materials did you start working with?
1: Um, so I, at the, at the loom in the, um, in Santa Fe, I was working on, um, just a tabletop loom that, um, yeah, that just kind of a four shaft tabletop loom. Um, and then I was like, well, I don't, I live in Brooklyn. I have this tiny apartment that I share with my partner. I don't really have space to do this. So I really, um, I just kind of, made a frame like bought a picture frame or like made a very quick frame and so it was doing kind of tapestry weaving then um i took some floor uh, floor loom classes at the textile arts center in brooklyn and kind of took some salary weaving classes uh, at loop of the loom in manhattan so I was starting to take classes too and just kind of getting to know a lot of different types of looms and so um and just weaving with any yarns i could find and kind of scrounge up um and um yeah so it it was kind of this like makeshift exploratory time and so I have um some pretty large uh tapestry looms that I've created um and then I have another kind of smaller tabletop um for shaft loom and um my friend let me borrow her like childhood rigid heddle loom so I'm like Mm. putting (laughs) I'm warping that right now um so I'm just it's uh it's been a little bit I just have anything I can get my hands on it's kind of been um the way that I've really approached it
0: so you mentioned in the beginning of this conversation that you have a background in community work and you you do a lot in community participatory projects and you have really combined that with your textile and art practice with a residency that you recently did with Plyspace in Muncie. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about that and about how that opportunity came about for you?
1: yeah well and I'll first take a little bit of a step back um because weaving for me was first very a personal process and so um but and so I that was my relationship to it before I started moving it into more of the community engagement pieces of my background in my life um and so I learned how to weave a month before my mom unexpectedly died in a car accident and so Mm -hmm. um it, it was a really kind of a traumatic situation um, and, you know, we had to take her off life support and it was, it was a, a really difficult time. And so I kind of also, I like, jumped into this mishmash of weaving opportunities, which was, was because um, weaving became this, like, lifeline and it became this way of processing grief Um, of just breathing it right the tactile the flow of it 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 was something that i just needed in order at, at a really difficult time in my life which um is something that i've heard on your podcast a number of other people have found too um which is amazing to hear about um but it so it was just this uh really important personal processing thing that um has helped me deal with trauma in a lot of different ways, grief, mourning, um, and just, just a really difficult year. Um, and so it was kind of as I was starting to move from this very internal time in my life um, and started to make connections on like, well, you know, I'm going to all these retreats, I'm going to these workshops, and I'm not really seeing weaving in the way that You know, I'm seeing weaving in terms of people connecting with it and creating, which I love. But I'm not really seeing spaces where weaving is um, being discussed about in the ways that my values are and like how important I think that this could be. And so I kept feeling like I was in kind of culturally white crafting and weaving spaces Whereas in like, it was a very individualistic relationship where it's like an individual on their loom kind of working on their singular projects. And um, just this kind of community aspect and thinking about my grandfather, and like all the people in the shop and the, how lively it was and the way my mom would talk about it, 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 that connected with me so much more. And it wasn't really the experience I was having. And then a lot of the places that I was and the conversations I was you know, looking at and. You know Instagram and all those things. It was very much consumer driven, and so um, it was a lot about the marketplace. A lot about like you know I'm kind of creating my individual thing, but the it's kind of the output focused, focused on kind of like the a, a monetary relationship, which is also something that's like didn't really resonate with me and and you know what I was developing into a weaving practice, and so. Um, so as you know at the same time I'm starting to gain more space you know I'm healing a lot I've getting to a better space with my grief um, and my processing Um, and so I'm having more of a capacity to engage you know with the outside world and um, I started using weed I you know had this idea and and did this back in January where I um, had a a single tap-like tapestry frame loom, and I brought it to, um, to this nonprofit's event of women, they're women organizers, so in New York City, it's called the Women Organizing Network. And so I had over 20 women um, weave on a single tapestry. And so what they did is they kind of wove a few lines, I taught them how to weave, they wove a few lines, um, and they wrote down their values um, or intentions on a strip of paper. And then they physically wove in that strip of paper. And so you have, you know, more than 20 women weaving on a single tapestry. And it kind of creates this visual dialogue, this visual language. People are responding to the lines before them. And then they're also, um, you know, we have a physical representation of a community um, that was created in that, in that you know, dinner that we had. And so that's kind of where I was like, okay, I think I'm onto something here. I think this is much more of the relationship to weaving that I want to have in the world. Um, and so then I was, you know, looking for um, artist residencies. Um, and kind of what led me there is uh, also tied to my mother's death, which is that you know we grew up uh, pretty poor. Um, and the idea of being an artist was something that, you know, I think, I think it's class-based. I also think that there, there was something about, um, you know, my mom, like where we grew up and who we were, that you, you could not be an artist. Like, that's, that's not for us type thing. And so uh, at the same time that, you know, my mom passed, I don't have to support her um, financially, emotionally in a lot of these Um, very challenging ways it gave me the space to be like I think this is who I am though (laughs) and I think like I I have the value and the worth of being this in the world and so I was looking at opportunities to kind of expand an artistic practice and to start thinking of myself as an artist which was such a such a challenging um, emotional process to go through and so I was looking for residencies um, that would give me the space to kind of explore weaving, a weaving process, and then also develop this voice, um, this artistic voice that I was trying to cultivate. And then I have this background in kind of community organizing, community engagement. I I'm, um, I love facilitating things. And so I just also have this kind of skill set that um, makes, it able, makes me able to do this well. Um, and so I found Ply Space, which was one of the only residencies that I found um, that really had, so they have like, you know, your personal project component, but then they have a community component. So they're out in the town of Muncie, Indiana. Um, they are, it's run by the Muncie Arts and Culture Council. And so they uh, kind of connect you with communities, um, like community groups in the area and you can do joint projects with them. So they really help you facilitate this. You're kind of an outsider, but they're kind of a local expert helping shepherding the process and, and really building up um, you know, a, local, uh, a local movement towards arts and towards community engagement. And so that's like so aligned with my values. Um, So I applied and um, I ended up being one of the three residents. And so I was there all of August doing um, a residency there. Um, Yeah, (laughs) it's like a a winding, winding way to (laughs) tell you how I ended up in Muncie, which I had never been to before.
0: I appreciate you sharing that. And I am so sorry for your loss. And I appreciate you sharing the way that you've been moving through that journey personally and also Mm -hmm. in community.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think what's interesting is, uh, you know, it's, when I talk about weaving, I I have to talk about all of these things because they're, um, they're so tied. And I think it, it makes um, my vulnerability in the process makes it, makes others more able to be vulnerable and really connect. So I think it's, it's also just important to do that.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you, you showed up in
1: Muncie in August and what happened? <laughs> so I originally applied with the residency doing the tapestry that I described before, these kind of community based tapestries that would bring people together, people would um weave on a single tapestry, they would connect it would be a, a unique way of of connection, of vulnerability, and it would physically represent the community. Um, so it was this kind of process. So um, I was partnered with um, the women's shelter at the YWCA and um, Outreach, which is an LGBTQ community group, community support group. And so I kind of came in with this idea: you know, I'm going to I'm going to do these community tapestries. Um, and so. What the partners wanted was, you know, weaving classes, like weaving workshops, and then it's like, okay, we can do that. Um, and so I ended up doing over. It was a pretty intense schedule. So over eighteen week, oh, sorry, over three weeks, I did eighteen workshops, um, which uh, was a pretty heavy <laughs> lift. Yeah, <it> <laughs> <like it. laughs> so I, uh, so I was I was teaching people how to weave. These are, you know. Really marginalized populations populations that are in transition transitional housing um, and so they're actually creating the things to decorate their space with which was a really beautiful place making process um they're they're people that you know have been, have survived violence in a lot of different ways and are in very precarious stressful um unhealthy kind of situations and so it was also about healing as a process. And then we're doing it together. Um, Some of the groups were as large as 30 teenagers, which was a very hefty, um, interesting kind of running around experience. But we, you know, we're doing this together and we're seeing what other people are um, weaving. And and so that was like kind of a community bonding experience as well. So I, I still wanted to do these community tapestries, though, Um, and I couldn't, uh, you know, my initial plans of like kind of leaving a loom there didn't really make sense when I looked at the space and was talking with the staff. And so what I ended up doing is to all 18 workshops, bringing this very large community loom. And so um, I got the idea after the one of the coordinators for outreach was like, um, you know, we really want to have a relationship with the YW. We um, love what they're doing. We are are as an organization, you know, we're kind of floating a little bit. So we'd love to have, you know, a strong connection with them and, and develop a relationship. And so if there's anything we can do. Let us know. And so I talked with them. Um, and so I they basically we had this huge community loom. Um, We had over 50 people contribute to it, kind of weaving different lines in it. And then um, Outreach wanted to give the entire loom so that we could stand up and be a physical representation of this experience and these two communities working together um, that is going to be at the the women's shelter at the YWCA. So that was a really unique and interesting experience and kind of... Um, yeah, it was, it was really fantastic. Um, so then on top of that, um, a week before I arrived, uh, the Muncie Arts and Culture, Culture Council was like, so we have this public park downtown. Um, we have these huge grates. They're like six by, uh, they're probably like 10 feet tall, six feet wide, and there are six of them. And they kind of i think they were there as planters but no one's ever used them and so they're just there and they kind of look like looms they could be looms maybe do you want to do a public art mural or something like that and so i was like yes let's figure it out that sounds amazing um so what i ended up pitching to them and the project we agreed to do together was um, it was called The Hopes We Wear on Our Backs. And so with um, pieces of fabric, like, uh, so we basically cut up recycled pieces of fabric and people would physically weave in the fabric into the grates. And then people would also write their hopes down. And so they would be like, I hope, you know, I can hope for my family or I hope for my neighborhood or I hope for, you know, Muncie at large. And so it was really free form. Uh, anything could really happen. I basically was like, here's a marker, here's strips, do whatever you want. There are no rules here, which was, a, I think, a pretty difficult thing for people who are um, conditioned to know of the rules and act within them. And so having this kind of freeform play was um, a big part of the experience. And so for the, over the course of a month, um, I would have community weaving hours where I would go out and I would weave um, and kind of make... like kind of fill up the space because it's just such a huge surface area that I had never worked on a space that large um and it was really free form so I was trying to like make this um into a kind of a space and so what happened over the course of the month is you know hundreds of people are there they're writing down their hopes the hopes are amazing Um, and they um, and they range from like, uh, you know, I wish we had more places for art and I would love to have more green spaces. Um, and then, you know, we had some, yeah, they, they just kind of really expanded in terms of, you know, some, some children were like, I hope my mom comes home. And so it it was just this public space of vulnerability and hope and dreaming. And so it was um, really unusual, nothing like that had happened in that city before. And so um, that, was, uh, that was, you know, what I was working on is kind of cultivating that space. And then um, the other thing is what happened, which I didn't really expect, is that this, these individual grates, you know, they were filling up over time. And then I started connecting them with kind of larger strips of fabric, kind of tying them together into these this like wave um movement kind of uh very vibrant looking piece and it kind of created this wall of hope and it you know struck me in the last weeks that it was just you know we're talking about walls in terms of dividing people and walls built on fear and this was a a representation like so visual and you could feel it too that it, it was just this wall built of people's hopes and dreams and it was, um, I think, a really, really impactful um, participatory like uh, activity that everyone was involved in.
0: What was it like, as someone who doesn't live in Muncie and I don't think you're from Muncie, what was it like to be in that community as an outsider leading such a vulnerable project?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I have no personal connection to Muncie. This is the longest I've ever been in the Midwest even. So it's like culturally, it's like, this is, this is different. Um, I'm from, yeah, the South. I'm from Texas and I've lived, um, I've lived, I moved a lot and lived in a lot of different places, kind of growing up because of poverty. And then as an adult, it's just, it's almost habit at this point to move. And I've organized in a lot of different communities, and so I'm used to being an outsider. So that that was a helpful skill set, um, and helpful to be able to uh, to listen and create space, and to come in as being, you know, really explicitly like I'm not the expert, like y'all are the expert. You you live here. Like this, like, that coming from that humility is is really important in this type of work. Um, and I think there's, I think there's a really important role that outsiders can play. Um, and so, I was, you know, I was also working at the, the the women's shelter and with the LGBTQ group. And so I would bring their hopes to the wall too. So I had this ability, based on what I was doing, to like bring more marginalized voices onto this public display. Which, um, you know, I. I think because uh, because I'm an outsider I don't have preconceived notions of like what's 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 possible and what what can you know what's impossible um and it's also you know as an outsider I'm, I'm vulnerable being out there asking people to hope, like I'm out there on the street, like asking people what their dreams are and like to dream alongside with me. And so because I'm an outsider, I can create that space where they're kind of being hospitable on one hand, but then they're, they're also like, I'm not gonna judge anything that they have to say because I, I don't know, like I have no idea. <laughs> and so that vulnerability um, and humility kind of combination can be really important. Um, and then I think there's like one last project that I ended up doing, but that I think is a really important role for an outsider working in communities um, to do um, when appropriate, which is that I um, I was at this you know this wall a lot. and so I saw a, a lot of the hopes and dreams. and as it was filling up, it was getting really hard. You could read a few at a time, but it was getting really hard to understand like what is the real message here? Like who's who what are people actually saying other than these kind of one off individual voices? And so, and I was a bit frankly overwhelmed because I was doing a lot of external community work. Um, and I, I needed, I'm, you know, I'm coming out of a, uh, the last year and a half has been a really traumatic year for me. And so I'm coming out of very um, introverted solo time. Uh, and so I was like, I need to find a way to get grounded in this process for me to feel really comfortable and good about you know, about it, so it's not a process that's just draining, and so what I did is I wrote down all of the hopes that I could, um, you know, all of the hopes that were visible, some of them were, like, really woven in there, Um, but I wrote down all of the ones that I could, that were visible, and I typed them up, and I printed them out, and then I grouped them by theme, and, or, you know, what they were talking about, Um, and then I cut them up and made it into a poem, and so, it became this kind of longer singular voice of like what is muncie saying um and so i wove that into a tapestry and that's at Plyspace space at the muncie arts and culture council and so um that was really like you know that's also the role of a of a facilitator of an outsider which is coming in and and kind of lifting up everyone and and making you know when possible a cohesive dynamic vibrant beautiful message and so and you know i was able to use my weaving to to help me process that and understand and make tangible this really remarkable experience that i had
0: so i'm really curious about this but it might be a little too early to ask you because i know you just came back from this big experience just about a week ago but you mentioned more at the beginning of this conversation about how weaving had started as a really personal practice, and then you also started moving it into a public practice. And I'm curious if that public practice is in influencing your own personal work, or if you see it influencing that in the future.
1: Yeah, I um, I think that's a great question. I'm I I just came back um, a little over a week ago, so I'm still my brain is still. Still tired and so focusing on breathing sure. and re- relaxing and kind of uh, and kind of sitting in that and so over the course of this month especially like later in the month I want to take time to think through like what of this experience are lessons for me what do I learn what do I take um, I can say off um, one of the, the key things was kind of that woven tapestry at the end weaving together all of these hopes Um I have been writing a lot of poetry, um, especially after my mom's death. Um, they just kind of come to me in floods almost. And so, um, and I usually use kind of a typewriter to type them out as a physical process of thinking about each letter and, and all of that. And so I think there is something there about weaving together words and weaving together messages and um, this kind of broader social listening exercise. And so whether that's kind of me, internally me, or um, doing that with communities, um, that's also something I've been thinking a little bit about, but I'm also just like brain needs needs to go on hibernation mode for a little bit.
0: That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, Casey, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today to share your story and your hopes, and um, I have two closing questions for you before we sign off. The first one is where people can go to find out more about you and your work on the internet and on social media, and also if you have any closing advice or words of wisdom for weavers out there.
1: Yeah, um, so thank you. First and foremost, like for having me on, um, I super appreciate it and also love listening to the podcast. And so, if people are interested in the work that I'm doing or what I'm talking about, um, my it's my website is caseylynmartinez dot com. That's K A C I E L Y N Martinez com, and then on Instagram I'm Casey Lynn M, and then. Um, if you're interested in the work that um, kind of learning more about the specific um, public participatory public art project about the, the Hope Wall, um, you can go to plyspace.com backslash Muncie Hopes. Um, and that's where we'll have a recap of what uh, what the project was, kind of some of the insights that I've talked a little bit about here. Um, and it's just so cool to see like what what can happen with like such like fabric, recycled fabric. So it's like what can happen um, and what can really bring people together with so few materials. Um, I'm also running tapestry weaving classes in Brooklyn at String, studio um, which is a really cool black owned yarn shop um, which is one of the most like inclusive and welcoming craft spaces I've seen and been a part of Um, I'm also if people want to share more with me I would love to like visit them and support them um, as well Uh, and then I also think that you know this is kind of current work that I've been doing but I'm really excited about opportunities for collaboration and sharing ideas and things like that. So definitely, I hope that through this um, and other things, you know, we kind of build a stronger community and work together and, you know, future work will happen together. Um, And then I think, you know, closing, closing, you know, thoughts. I I don't, I don't know if I have so much wisdom um, or advice um, on weaving, but I you know, I think as weavers, we're holding something, we're holding on to something that's just so powerful. Um, and so in the classes that I was running, I would start them by talking, describing the Navajo story of the spider woman, who's the first weaver who wove the universe. And so, you know, if we are weaving and breathing and living with the knowledge that that is possible. And if we're guided by our souls and not our egos, um, I can't even imagine what we're capable of doing.
0: That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. Thank you,
1: Casey. Thanks for taking the time to talk today. I so enjoyed it. Thanks so much.
0: That's a wrap. To see photos of the work Casey described today, as well as links to her own Instagram and the organizations she mentioned, go to www.gistyarn.com episode 32. Thanks so much for the kind notes and donations to support the podcast. They really mean a lot to me. If you'd like to donate to support what we're working on here, please go to www.gistyarn.com podcast and click on the donate button. You can sign up there to give a one-time or monthly gift and truly any amount helps. $2.00. whatever you're able to spare, and that this podcast is worth it to you. Thanks. Next week on the podcast, I'm talking to Kathy Hattori, the founder of Botanical Colors. Botanical Colors supplies artisans and the textile industry with the materials and know-how to dye textiles in a way that uses less water, is non-toxic, and is biodegradable. We had a great conversation about how she got started with natural dyes and her tips for weavers who want to try their hand at dyeing. Tune in next Monday to hear the conversation, and until next time, happy weaving.